You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1840th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 5th of August 2021. The editor of this edition is Katrina, the producer is Harvey and your readers are Harvey and Chris. We should also mention our processing teams who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch the memory stick to you. We will repeat any telephone numbers that are in this edition at the end of the memory stick. Now we'll start with the headlines. Hotels and holiday lets fully booked as Suffolk staycation summer continues. Horror accident leads to call to fix death trap potholes. Debenham site is likely to stay empty until 2023. Region combines grind to halt as rain wrecks harvest hopes. Tourism bosses in East Suffolk say there is not a bed to be had during the summer holidays as holidaymakers choose to stay in the UK rather than head abroad. Hoteliers and rental companies say that they are fully occupied throughout the summer and going into autumn. The government's traffic light system of restrictions for international travel currently prevent people from visiting certain foreign destinations, while meaning people returning from others may have to quarantine. Best of Suffolk is a holiday cottage firm with more than 400 properties in the county and has had to form a waiting list of people wanting to book. Abbey Charter, the firm's marketing manager, said, We probably start to have availability from September onwards, but there's definitely nothing over the summer. Every now and again we are experiencing cancellations because people are having to self-isolate and we'll post that on our social media channel and it normally goes within the hour. Ms Charter said the firm was noticing a difference in the people who were coming to stay at the firm's properties. Our core demographic for Suffolk is anyone within a sort of two and a half hour drive, she explained. But we're finding people are travelling from further afield And when they're here, they want to stay longer because they want to make the most of that time. People haven't been on holiday in 18 months, so they're having two weeks rather than three nights like they normally might. Other tourism bosses are seeing the same thing. Nick Atfield is Director of Properties for Adnams. He says the company's hotels and inns are booked until the end of October. People in the UK have been cooped up Lots of people realising they can't go abroad or don't want the risk of going abroad, he said. So we've been booked up since Easter time, right throughout the season, and have very close to full occupancy levels until the end of October. Mr Atfield added that the bustling hotels was good news for the pubs in the area. There's really strong demand at the moment, he said. Everywhere is full. And obviously that brings us a great supply of customers looking for different places to eat and drink each day. 
However, other businesses on the coast have not been having quite such a good summer. Jesse Fotherby has been running businesses on the Felixstowe seafront for almost 25 years and now runs the Little Ice Cream Company and the 129 Cafe Bar. This summer, she said, had been good, but not wow. So far, despite the poor weather and lack of foreign tourists. In a normal year, Suffolk could see around 200,000 visits from foreign tourists. A couple are calling for urgent action after a pothole sent them flying from their road bikes and left them with multiple injuries. Bettina Scarlata, aged 49, and her husband Mark, 48, were riding into Wickhambrook on July the 17th when they both hit the four-inch deep, two-feet-wide, um, four-feet-long pothole on the B1063. Mark Scarlata, a priest and teacher, was thrown from his brand-new factor road bike and suffered six broken ribs, a broken collarbone, a fractured spine and a fractured finger. Wife Bettina suffered traumatic head injury and shattered elbows and has no memory of the accident after suffering concussion. Mark is now immobile as he recovers and the doctors thought most certainly I would be dead or have lifelong brain damage if I hadn't been wearing a helmet, said Mrs Carlata, a heritage school worker. They still don't know if I will regain full use of my arm, which now has metal plates, and Mark has a CT scan coming up for another look at his spine. Potholes are death traps, and if the council don't do something about them, someone will eventually lose their life, as we nearly did, the parents of three children. The couple from Cambridge were taken by ambulance to West Suffolk Hospital. They were riding an 80-kilometre route and were travelling around 25 miles per hour when they hit the pothole. A recent Berry Free Press investigation found that Suffolk County Council paid out £383,041 between 2015 and 2020 after seven and a half, seven. 112 claims were made for damages and injuries caused by potholes and damaged roads. Gemma Jones, who lives in Boyden End near, near the B1063 and who was first on the scene, said the pothole had been there for some time and had been getting bigger. That stretch of the road has always been pretty bad. I thought the couple had been hit by a car and could see it was pretty serious, she said. A spokesman for Suffolk Highway said, We are very sorry to hear of the accident in Wickhambrook and wish the couple involved a quick recovery. The pothole has been inspected, marked up and was waiting repair, in line with our maintenance policy. However, in light of the incident, our teams have carried out a, a temporary fix prior to a more permanent repair in the coming weeks. Although we repair many thousands of potholes every year, Unfortunately, not all potholes can be eradicated at once, which is why we encourage all road users to take extra care and drive to the conditions of the road. Our teams regularly inspect all roads across the county. However, we cannot be everywhere at once. So if anyone sees a pothole that needs repairing, report it at www.highwaysreporting.suffolk.gov.uk. No comment. The Debenham store in Bury St Edmunds is likely to stay empty until at least 2023, a meeting heard this week. At our Bury St Edmunds Business Improvement District annual general meeting on Tuesday, 
Steve Bunce, manager of the Ark Shopping Centre, told members that the town most likely had two Christmases to get through before the premises reopened under a new name. He said, We've had four people offering to take it over, and that shows again that Bury is a viable shopping destination. The reality for us, though, is the bigger the deal we have to get done, the store was purpose-built for Debenhams, there are likely to be changes. The reality is we probably won't see anyone trading until 2023, so we have two Christmases to get through, which is not ideal. Asked if anything could be done in the interim period, Mr Bunce replied, we can't start any work until a deal is done, so even if we get a deal in the next 12 weeks, we estimate it would be likely to mean between 26 and 35 weeks of work for what we need to do. And a tenant on large scale may have anything up to one year's work. He said that the Ark had declined an offer from online clothes retailer Boohoo, who wanted to use the shop's windows purely for advertising, as it has done with several defunct high street retailers across the country. Berry Improvement District Chief Executive Officer Mark Cordell told the meeting that the organisation, which supports town businesses, was, however, looking forward with optimism to the town's future post-pandemic. He said footfall was returning and that 16 new businesses had also come to town to fill vacant units. He said key to the town's future success was understanding what shoppers wanted and appealed to shopkeepers to help out with a forthcoming survey. Mr Cordell added that money accrued through the traders' BID levy during the past year will be spent appropriately and productively as possible across the organisation's five-year term as events return and that marketing had continued during lockdowns. In what has been a horrendous year, well done to everyone for even still being here after facing so many challenges, he said. Suffolk and Essex farmers are praying for sunshine as rain hampers harvest 2021. Just a few weeks ago, cereal growers across East Anglia were feeling hopeful about prospects for this year's crops, but wet weather and lower temperatures have put a dampener on their enthusiasm. With more unsettled weather predicted over the coming days, their already late harvests have been put back further. It contrasts with blisteringly hot summers in 2020 and 2019, which made for easy harvests, although yields in some places were dramatically down last year. National Farmers Union, NFU, County Advisor Charles Hesketh, described a mixed picture for the county's farmers for harvest 2021, with some crops in but a delay on others. Harvest got off to a late but encouraging start for many farmers in Suffolk and Essex, but it has now largely ground to a halt due to recent rain, he said. Some farmers are happy with the progress made, but others have suffered localised torrential downpours, which have damaged crops. One rain gauge at Brettonham near Watersham apparently recorded 181mm in less than two hours on July the 25th and one area of Essex saw freak hailstorms that decimated crops, including beans and oiled rape. To see a year's work destroyed in a matter of minutes was devastating for the farmers concerned. It is still early days in the harvest, but the long-range forecast for August suggests there is more changeable weather to come. 
We really need sunshine and warmth now to ripen the crops, including wheat and barley, and to bring them to their full potential. Glenn Buckingham, who farms at Helmingham near Debenham and is chairman of the Suffolk branch of the NFU, said the turn in the weather meant prospects for some crops were looking ordinary, where before they were looking good. We would obviously like to be sailing along harvesting, he said, but conditions meant cereals were slower to ripen, around 15 days behind a normal season. It's a bit frustrating, he admitted. We have harvested our oilseed rape, but we haven't got to our winter barley yet. The day length is getting shorter all the time, and the crops are maturing later. Three weeks ago, Glenn took the opportunity to go up in an aeroplane and was able to see that a lot of hybrid barley crops in the area had been flattened by storms. Tom Dewars, who farms at Rattleston near Stowmarket, tweeted of the rain, Bearing in mind the three inches of rain we've had on Sunday, this is rather, rather sad, soul-destroying. Suffolk NFU Deputy Chairman Andrew Blankenron, who manages the Euston Estate near Thetford, said, We managed to get the winter barley finished last Friday morning, all nice and dry, below 12% moisture, although yields were disappointing and below average, almost as bad as last year. We did manage to get the first 60 acres of wheat cut yesterday afternoon and yields seem about average at 20% moisture. It is very wet. At least it is in the barn and hopefully milling quantity is preserved. Of course, it is wet again now. So we're at a stop with wheat and with a poor weather forecast for the weekend. We're hoping that we can get going early again early next week. Good job that we have some grain drying capacity. However, he added, the sugar beet and the forage maize are both loving the weather conditions. Anyone who's been in the centre of Bury St Edmunds will have seen the crane currently residing over the Cornhill. Not many, though, will have had the opportunity to climb it. The redevelopment of the Cornhill Post Office site, which is being carried out by Barnes Construction on behalf of West Suffolk Council, is due to include two ground floor business units with 12 flats being built on the floors above. As part of the development, the commercial floor space on the ground floor will be de- des- designed to allow the market thoroughfare, a walkway connecting the Ark Shopping Centre and the Town Centre, to be widened by 50%. The first phase of the project was completed in June and the building continues to be on target for completion in summer 2022. The crane was added to the town's skyline in April early this year and stands at an eye-watering 18 metres high. The tower is surrounded by the building structure, making the daunting climb slightly more comforting. Ascending the crane is not for the faint-hearted. There is only one way up, and that is through a ladder in the centre of the tower. Edging towards a cab further up the tower demonstrated one of the biggest challenges of the job for crane operator Christy Wright. But the views across the town's skyline more than made up for the Herculean effort. The British sugar factory on Hollow Road became a compatriot in the sky, rather than another dwarfing figure on the Bury St Edmunds skyline, as did St Edmundsbury Cathedral. Reaching the top was a relief, and then my mind turned 
to get him back down to terra firma once again. Thousands attend motorsport event. Thousands of people attended a motorsport event at the weekend. The Motorsport East event was held on Sunday between 10am and 4pm in Berris and Edmonds Town Centre. It's a new venture by Business Improvement District, our Berris and Edmonds. Some 60 cars from different motorsport disciplines rolled in. People shared advice and tips on racing and clubs and guest of honour was F1 commentator Ben Edwards. Mark Cudell of BID, CEO, said we were very pleased with the great success of this new event. Those who attended showed great interest in the cars, with one car, I am told, being valued at over £1 million. The event brought far greater numbers into the town centre than on a normal Sunday, and we were delighted that BID members, beautiful beers, Papiki's Deli and a, and a Plan Insurance took up the opportunity to have a free presence at the event and benefited directly from the crowds attending. It has been several years since the town centre hosted a motorsport show. Sunday's event was put together by well-known local rally class commentator and motorsport journalist, journalist Arthur Debenham. It filled the but Buttermarket and Cornhill areas. On display were a wide range of competition cars from race to rally, rallycross, short circuit, trial sprints and karting. Cars ranged from pre-World um, War II to the latest 600 BHP supercars. Local clubs, race and rally car specialists, engine builders and model makers were also represented. The event raised funds for the East Anglian Air Ambulance. Part of a late Roman hoard, controversially discovered by metal detectorist in Thetford more than 40 years ago, has returned to display its beauty and a message to future treasure hunters. The Thetford treasure was found in 1979 by Arthur Brooks after he pulled his car over with his wife Grace inside and went detecting on Gallows Hill, now Fison Way, in the town. What was found were 44 pieces of jewellery and 33 spoons in a box, one of the most important late Roman finds ever discovered in Britain. Oliver Bone, curator of the Ancient House Museum in White Hart Street and also King's Lynn Museum, said to have 11 items from the find, loaned from the British Museum, on display at the Thetford site was a privilege. He said, these are very special pieces of national and international importance which were found right here in Thetford. But the circumstances surrounding the discovery and later its declaration are a bit sort of murky. Once a pair had taken home the pieces and washed them in baby shampoo to make sure they did not damage the items, they stored them in a bank vault in Doncaster for six months. Due to the hoard, believed to be from 390 AD, being made of gold and silver, it should have been declared straight away so a coroner could hold an inquest to establish if it was treasure and belonged to the Crown. It would then have gone to the British Museum, and the finder would have been paid a reward. But they had trespassed on land owned by Breckland Council, so the pieces were not declared until 1980, with the British Museum taking ownership in 1981. Oliver said, what we are trying to do with the exhibit is not only get people to see these fantastic pieces up close, but we're also using this story to encourage people who do discover pieces 
to let people know about them. People such as the Portable Antiquities Scheme can help, so sites like the one where the Thetford treasure was found get a chance to be fully investigated before they are lost forever. Charles Burrell Museum is back. Thetford's Charles Burrell Museum went full steam into its landmark grand reopening event on Sunday. The Minstergate Museum, located within the former Burrell Grade II listed paint shop, is celebrating 30 years as a museum this year. Helen Whitten-Rogers, the museum's manager, said, Having live steam at the museum again, especially having our own Queen Mary pass her boiler test just in time to complete the line-up, was magical. The museum showman's road locomotive, which has new tyres, made from 24 flattened and pressed forklift tyres, thanks to a three-year and £6,000 fundraising project, was one of eight engines on display. For more information and history on the Charlesborough Museum, go to www.charlesboroughmuseum.org.uk. The poor state of Britain's rivers has been highlighted in the media recently with documentaries and reports exposing the commonplace dumping of untreated sewage by water companies. The Lark and Linnet are not immune from this. Anglian Water admitted to discharging untreated sewage into the Lark from their Greatwell Neatham and Fornham treatment works for a total of 420 hours in 2020. Our rivers also suffer from road runoff, a combination of toxic hydrocarbons, heavy metals and petrol, and agriculture runoff. Phosphates and nitrates from fertiliser wash off the land in heavy rain to end up in the river, and feed algal blooms that absorb oxygen when they subsequently decompose, suffocating the natural river ecosystem in the process. Whilst uncontrolled runoff from farms south of Bury is a major problem, the principal source of phosphate pollution in the Lark originates from a mainstream diet of meat and potatoes. Joe Churchill, the Berry Stedman's MP, became involved early this year when a local angler complained to her about very low levels of riverfly, the invertebrates at the bottom of the aquatic food chain in the Lark downstream of Berry. Miss Churchill charged the River Lark Catchment Partnership with producing a report about the situation and an action plan for improvement. She also undertook to look into government policy concerning the removal of phosphates from domestic sewage and to support local public information campaigns. The report and action plan were published in April. Riverlark Catchment Partnership, RLCP, has set up a multi-agency pollution group with Berry Water Meadows Group leading highly active subgroups on sewage pollution and road runoff. In addition, both groups are participating in an EU-funded project called Preventing Plastic Pollution that is led by the UK Freshwater Biological Association to understand better how to tackle the 4 million tonnes of plastic that enter the sea from our rivers. Whilst it is tempting to blame agribusiness, the water companies and their regulators for the pollution in our rivers, we citizens should understand that all the water coming out of our power showers and hose pipes has been borrowed, as Anglian Water puts it, from the environment, and its return there 
once it has passed through our bodies and our drains. Would we use tap water more sparingly if we knew it had been taken out of the chalk aquifer underground us at the expense of the aquifer-fed chalk streams and their ecosystems? Would we take more care over what we put down our drains if we knew how much of it ultimately ends up in the river? Thus we have the situation now where buries two chalk streams out of just 300 chalk streams on the entire planet depend on effluent from water treatment works to sustain any kind of flow. It is no wonder the river flies are struggling. Former hostage weight, sorry, former hostage weight marks 30 years since release. Former buried hostage Terry Waite has launched a fundraising challenge to boost an organisation he founded and to mark the 30th anniversary of his release from captivity. Mr Waite of Hartest hopes fundraisers will join the Beirut and Back Challenge for All Virtual Event, which asks people using any humid-powered means to contribute towards covering 5,700 miles, the distance from his home to Beirut and back. Taking place from September the 4th to the 12th, it is in aid of Hostage International, a cause close to Mr Waite's heart. I can hardly believe it is 30 years on November the 18th since I was released from captivity. It's amazing the number of people who still remember that event, said Mr Waite, who was held mainly in solitary confinement for five years. When I was released, I was approached by other people who had been taken hostage, who were not getting the support and help they needed. I tried to help as many people as possible, and I realised there was a tremendous need, said Mr Waite, who eventually founded what was then Hostage UK and became Hostage International. The organisation provides free support to the family and friends of those taken hostage and people released from captivity. Much of that support has moved online during the pandemic. The pandemic gave me the opportunity to have regular conversations online with former hostages. That has been so useful, said Mr Waite, aged 82. He can recount numerous success stories of those who have accessed support through Hostage International, but says as confidentiality is key to the organisation's work, it can be difficult to gain publicity. This is one reason the fundraising challenge is so important. The £15 registration fee goes straight to Hostage International Funds. It is a way of raising money which isn't too hard. Hopefully, if we can get a lot of people to register, it will make a tremendous difference, said Mr Waite. The milestone anniversary offers a chance for Mr Waite to reflect on his experiences, but he still maintains his captivity, offered him new opportunities in life. In the last 15 months, many people have been experiencing quite difficult times and quite hard times. I have often said in every situation of, of difficulty, there are the seeds of something creative and a new that can happen, he added. For more information about Beirut and back, go to www.hostageinternational.org. The next item is an open letter written by the Chief Constable called Let's Continue to Be Careful. This is what he writes. Monday, July the 19th was a so-called Freedom Day and I wanted to start by saying a big thank you to everyone for what has been a very difficult 18 months. 
the pandemic has seen the communities of Suffolk pulling together and working hard to protect themselves and each other. I've been really grateful for the support my officers and staff have received over the past 18 months and particularly wanted to thank you all for adhering to the regulations. In the majority of cases, we have been able to engage, explain and educate people. Of course, there have been occasions where we have had to use our powers of enforcement and issue tickets, but those have been for blatant disregard of the regulations where people fail to act responsibly and in line with government guidance. With increasing infection rates, it is evident we are not yet out of the woods. But if we continue to work together and act responsibly and carefully, we can continue to beat this terrible virus. My ask of you is that you think carefully about what you do when restrictions ease and that you take things slowly and carefully. Let's do what we can to continue to ensure Suffolk is a safe and enjoyable place in which to live. Officers are busy making plans for the summer, as it is fair to predict that the beautiful county of Suffolk will see a high influx of visitors and tourists. You can expect to see officers in high footfall places such as parks and towns and engaging with the public wherever possible. We encourage you to continue to inform us of any problem locations or reoccurring issues so we can respond effectively. We also ask you to be mindful of opportunistic criminals in the summer months and urge you to take proper precautions when both at home and out and about, such as shutting windows when not home and keeping personal belongings near you and secure at all times. So like everyone... The West Suffolk policing team are sad that the Euro 2020 dream ended without an England victory. But as well as being proud of the England squad, we are also proud of our communities who enjoyed this historic sporting event in a sensible and community-spirited manner. Operation Howden was our policing response to the Euros, and this allowed officers to engage with the community support hospitality and licensed premises who were in much need of an economic boost and to ensure that the public stayed safe, not only in terms of crime and disorder but in relation to the Covid pandemic too. Officers deployed on this operation reported excellent compliance throughout with minimal incidents of disorder, so a big thank you from us to you. Couple celebrating 60 years weren't expected to last. A couple who met in Bury St Edmunds through work 60 years ago are now celebrating their diamond wedding anniversary. Joe and John Goodenough of Wheating worked together at a now defunct business, Sapper on Northgate Street in the centre of town, before tying the knot on July the 29th, 1961. Joe said we weren't expected to last very long in our marriage because we'd only been going out a few months. After leaving supper, they held various jobs before retiring. John worked as a long-distance lorry driver, while Joe held various roles, including her favourite, working as a post lady in the post office. During their time together, the pair have, two ch have had two children, Susan and John, as well as five grandchildren and six great-grandchildren. When asked if there is a secret to a long marriage, she said, It's like everything else. Some days you get along nicely and are really good, while other days you irritate the hind legs of each other. 
<laughs> How true. Yes. And now we come on to some readers' letters. And my first one is from I.H. McCarter of Fornham All Saints. It was interesting to read the Berry Free Press article concerning the Tut Hill. Whilst those who vigorously pursued its closure to through traffic may feel they have good intentions, they have unwittingly fallen into a trap. That is, closing the road will hasten further development within Fornham All Saints Village, in particular further residential development to the east side of Tut Hill, behind existing residences, will commence within a decade, a scenario I have previously witnessed. One of the strongest points for refusing residential development is road safety, that being more cars from that development entering what is an already busy road. If Tuthill is closed to through traffic, that reason for refusal has gone. Gaining access into a closed Tuthill for further development is a developer's dream. To think this will never happen is a delusion. My first letter is, it's an anonymous, and name and address was supplied. Um, Tories are in a real state of shambles. I'm afraid that I feel I must answer the letter from Tony Nicholl. I must ask where he gets his max strength rose-coloured glasses, because he's unable to see what the rest of the population sees. We now have a serial cheat and liar as a Prime Minister who flutters in the breeze. With Dominic Cummings gone, it's left to Mrs Johnson to push him in the direction she wants. The administration is in a complete state of shambles. They are like headless chickens running in circles. The track and trace has been a farce since it started. Billions have been spent on it and now it's gone berserk. That's no surprise. Only the Tories' friends and those who think like them get the jobs. Boris has refused to apologise to the public after saying it doesn't matter. It's only old people who are dying. He has now been accused of lying in the House of Commons. How much more do we have to put up with? We now have a bill to interfere with voting and we won't be allowed to have demonstrations. Our MP is known as the Invisible Woman as she is never seen and she never has to vote by conscience because of joint cabinet responsibility. Please don't keep on about the vote for Brexit and having majority. 17 million voters voted for it. 29 million either voted against or didn't vote. Once again, we see Boris's lies in action. Remember how he promised that the fishing community would be great again. Now the fleets are mothballed. Our farmers would be looked after. Some chance when we are flooded with cheap, low-quality meat. And what has happened in Northern Ireland is living proof that he has lost all moral standards. Say, it, say anything. I'll deny it all. How could we have sunk so low? I look forward to Mr Nicholl working to restore the Conservative to its previous standards. And the next letter is from Sharon Bowen. This was supplied by email. Entitled, Watch the Heat When Dog Walking. I've just driven through the streets in Pakenham at 1pm on a very hot day and saw a dog owner walking a small black and brown terrier sort of dog that because of the heat and hotness of the concrete path had laid down at the side of the path. Heartbreaking. I was going to stop and as a loving, caring owner of two elderly dogs was going to explain if you want to walk in the heat of the midday sun in shorts and sun hat, fine. 
but please do not drag your poor dog with you. To be honest, I didn't trust my mouth or temper, so I decided to contact the Berry Free Press to get this point across. We all love to walk our four-legged family friends, but please, not in the heat of the day, on hot concrete paths. Yep, I do agree with that. Um, my second letter, it's a very short one. It's written by Alan Budd of Bury St Edmunds. And he says, do we need to spell it out to the PM? Concerning easing lockdown, our Prime Minister has asked, if not now, when? Perhaps if the relevant information were presented to Boris in the form of Latin or Greek verse with numerical information in Latin numerals, M, D, X, 1, etc., he would find the information easier to understand. And now another letter from Gail Wade of Berries and Edmonds. Headed, not all users need these taxis. Comment commenting on the new requirement for all taxis to be wheelchair accessible, as in the Berry Free Press of July the 23rd, a West Suffolk Council spokesman is quoted as asking whether wheelchair users should have to specify that they need a wheelchair accessible taxi. Of course they should. So long as accessible taxis are available to be booked, there is no discrimination against wheelchair users. But not everybody needs or wants one, as the drivers you interviewed explain. What about the older passengers who can't get into an accessible taxi? Presumably the council is happy to see them left at the curbside. And if the unintended effect of this policy is to put drivers out of business and reduce the number of taxis available overall, everyone will suffer. Now, my last letter is written by Ian Smith of Bury St Edmunds, and he says, um, regarding letters of the July the 26th, My Brexit-opposing friend John Bailey commented on the quietness of the 52% and asked where Nigel Farage was. Well, I can let him know where Mr Farage is. Switch on your TV on any evening after midnight, and you'll see him on the great new TV news programme called GB News 236 on Freeview. This Euralist never doubted that things might be bumpy at the beginning of our release from the EU, despite what others said or did. So calm down, John. Things may not be as smooth as promised and as we'd all have liked. Hang on to your hat and let's be patient and look to the medium and long term. Great recent news. The economy is predicted to grow faster than expected this year. The IMF believes it will grow by 7%. News to cheer us all up, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and back to some other items from the news. Yep. The Ever Given has made its long-awaited arrival at the port of Felixstowe after blocking the Suez Canal earlier in the year. Dozens of ship spotters gathered along Felixstowe seafront yesterday to catch a glimpse of the 400-metre-long container ship as it was taxied to the port. It was first seen anchored out in at sea on Monday afternoon as it awaited its scheduled arrival time in Suffolk. According to the port of Felixstowe's log, the Ever Given officially docked at 4.20pm. Its arrival was celebrated in the seaside town as onlookers used binoculars to see the vessel anchored out at sea before getting a closer look when it sailed closer to the shore. 
a cardboard model of the ship was even made to mark the occasion. The Ever Given made international news back in March, after it became lodged in the Suez Canal in Egypt amid high winds, blocking a major international trading route for six days. It was originally scheduled to dock in Rotterdam in the Netherlands on April the 3rd, before arriving in Suffolk three days later. The chaos and backlog meant the journeys of hundreds of ships were delayed and some were forced to take the much longer route around the southern tip of Africa. Shipping data from Lloyd's List projected the vessel was holding up around £7 billion worth of goods every day it was stuck. After being refloated, the Ever Given was then held by the Egyptian authorities in charge of the Suez Canal for more than three months amid a financial dispute over £655 million in compensation. In July, the ship was finally freed after an agreement was struck between its Japanese owner, Shoal Kisen Kaisha Limited, and the canal authorities. The vessel is set to arrive in Hamburg in Germany after cargo was unloaded by port workers in Felixstowe. The port of Felixstowe is Britain's biggest and busiest container port, welcoming more than 3,000 ships each year. 583 war memorials and counting. A man from Suffolk has discovered the history behind 583 war memorials in Bury St Edmunds. Tony Pringle, aged 83 from Newmarket, estimates that he has investigated between 112 and 115 towns and villages in Suffolk and their links to the war. His journey began in 2010 with Newmarket and has led him to researching the town after noticing that there was a gap in the market for research. I realised back at the beginning that no one had really researched Berry, he said. I had to do all of the Brecklands. I then had a crack at Haverhill. But while I was doing all of this, I realised that some of these people have started from Berry. The research took three months to complete, and with a total of 583 names sourced. Mr Pringle used a number of databases to complete the research, including delving into the archives of the Berry Free Press. He said, I always try to get their birth registration first, and then I use the Commonwealth War Graves website for most of it. They are the two most important bits of information. The fact that the Berry Free Press is online has been extremely helpful. Tony, who previously served in the Royal Air Force for 12 years, said that the hobby would not be possible in a previous age. It's a fantastic hobby, he said. You couldn't do this in the early days when I was younger because the internet was not a thing, so it has made it so much easier. More on Tony and his research can be found at www.undyingmemory.net. I have three short items, news in brief, which I will read to you. A 94-year-old man took a trip down memory lane after visiting his old boarding school. Ken Marshall of Berries and Edmonds studied at Colford School before and during World War II, and on July the 9th went back to visit pupils and teachers. His daughter, Laura Wiseman, said when her father walked through the school entrance, all his memories came flooding back. Second item. Climate change is big news, 
and so is the Globe, created this week in St Edmundsbury Cathedral. On Wednesday, visitors got involved in an ongoing project to make a giant globe for Climate Sunday. When complete, the Earth model will hang in the building's nave during the climate service on September the 5th. Claire Cashlin, who works in the Learning Hub, said, We will be hosting a variety of creativity-based projects at the cathedral in the hope of welcoming people back through our doors. On Wednesday, there will be trails and craft activities from 10am to midday. You don't need to book, just turn up to get involved. The event's all free, but visitors can make a donation, are part of an array of activities being hosted by the cathedral this summer. And the last of the three short items. Flash floods hit Thetford on Tuesday with residents, businesses and the town's drains struggling to cope. Norfolk Fire and Rescue Service received about 20 calls, including to Minstergate, Elm Road, St John's Way and St Martin's Way. Businesses at the Charles Burrell Centre were also hit by the deluge. Delivery man retires after 51 years at Country Store. One of the longest serving staff members at a country store has retired after 51 years. Wayne Whitaker retired as Transport Coordinator at Clarks of Walsham Limited last week. Mr Whitaker, aged 66, who lives in Wattisfield, started work at the company at the age of 15, straight from school. After passing his test in a transit van and later gaining an HGV licence, he became a delivery driver, travelling all across East Anglia and further afield. In the early 2000s, 2000s, 2000, he became transport coordinator, working in the yard, helping with the loading of orders on the company's fleet of 15 vehicles. Clark's was a lot different when I started and only half the size it is now, said Mr Whitaker. Over 50 years, there were many changes from the number of buildings to the improvement in the lorries and the growth in number of staff. They are a good bunch of people. There were good times and bad times, like any businesses. But things like the recession and the pandemic, but the good times definitely outnumber the bad. Mr Whitaker moved to Wattisfield from Kent as a teenager. He had just returned from a trip to New Zealand and Australia when the pandemic struck last year and had planned to spend his retirement doing some more global travelling. I am not sure we can do that now, so we are thinking of doing some travelling around the UK instead, he said. As Glasswells, East Anglia's biggest independent furniture retailer, turns 75, Managing Director Paul Glasswell tells of its humble beginnings and how it is coping with the challenges of Covid. When Jerry Glasswell started selling second-hand furniture, from a tiny town centre shop in 1946, Britain was just emerging from the horrors of the Second World War. Rationing was still in force, and the country was battle-scarred and weary, but people looked forward with hope that the austerity forced by tough economic conditions might soon be over. This year, as the business empire he founded reached its 75th anniversary, the nation is again struggling to escape the grip of a seismic event. The Covid pandemic is often described as the worst situation the country has faced since the war. Glasswells, now headed by Jerry's grandson Paul and the largest independent furniture retail in East Anglia, 
has spent the past 16 months navigating choppy waters of lockdowns and supply chain problems. As a thriving business, it has been well placed to weather the storms and has continued to invest in improvements, but an enforced three-month closure of its stores was not the way the company expected to start marking 75 years of trading. Glasswells has spacious destination stores with restaurants in Bury and Ipswich, shops in Haverhill and Saffron Walden, and a discount outlet in Sudbury, while its removals and storage business is based in Kempson Way, Bury. We've quite a lot of strings to our bow, which was useful during lockdown, said Paul, who succeeded his father Leslie as managing director in 1989. But in the first lockdown, almost everything had to stop. Only half a dozen of the company's 280 staff were working in the contracted out storage area. The world stopped. Furniture stopped coming in. We couldn't deliver to anyone, he said. The second and third lockdowns weren't so severe. The shop couldn't open, but the warehouse and fitting teams could carry on working. Not everything fires on all cylinders all the time, but at least we had some cylinders firing. They took advantage of this year's lockdown to upgrade the air conditioning in the flagship Beris and Edmunds store, where the atrium was refurbished in 2020. The Ipswich store's restaurant has also been updated. We try to keep the presentation sharp, even though we might have been keen to save. It's most important to people that we are relevant today, not only with the furniture, but the environment they come into, said Paul. But Covid clampdowns on travel, especially holidays abroad, seem to have brought an unexpected bonus, with people turning their attention to their homes instead. Since the end of lockdown this year, furniture has been very busy. We noticed a bit of a surge after all three lockdowns. Because people can't go abroad, they're thinking about making their life more comfortable at home. Garden furniture especially has been good. But the supply chain has become more tricky, so delivery times are longer. It's a question of if we can actually get it. There aren't enough ships and containers to move goods around the world at the moment. The price of a shipping container has gone up five times. Shipping one container used to be £3,000, now it's £15,000. 50% of our total stock is from the UK, a third of the balance is from the Far East, and the other two-thirds from Europe. There is a shortage of workers generally, It's more difficult to fill vacancies now with suppliers, truck drivers and our own restaurant staff. The pandemic and Brexit have hit businesses with a double dose of tough challenges. Paperwork from the EU is an additional burden, an extra job we didn't have to do before, said Paul. During this whole thing it has been a moving target. What the rules are, what we should be doing, how we cope with each different requirement, all businesses have had to adapt and have been very versatile in making these changes. It is all very different to the commercial world in which Jerry and Leslie Glasswell began building up the business, although one gets the feeling they would have risen to the challenge. The company was started by my grandfather, who opened a shop in Brent Govel Street, with his wife Ethel, said Paul. My father Leslie joined them soon after the war. In the beginning, they sold second-hand, then utility furniture, They opened shops in Haverhill, Stowe Market and Saffron Walden. The 1950s and 60s were pretty busy, with a number of shops in Bury going from one to two to three. Through the 70s and 80s, 
the family firm continued to expand and acquired stores in Norwich, Sudbury and Braintree, as well as investing in its existing network. By the early 1990s, its berry business was spread over sites in Brent Govel Street, St Andrew Street and the Corn Exchange, each targeting a different market. In 1992, it became obvious we needed to make a step change to provide something a lot more comprehensive, said Paul. The solution came in the shape of an old tractor depot on a four-and-a-half-acre site in the town's New Market Road, where they created a world of furniture store. The move took them into the out-of-town furniture market, previously dominated by firms who did retailing with no frills, whose shops were more like warehouses. This was more sophisticated. It saw a big change in our ambitions to grow the business. It was a big investment, £1.6 million. Buying this site was a massive leap forward. At first the store was 34,000 square feet, but still a big unit compared to the town centre. Now it's three times that size, with extensions in 1996 and 2002. It was an opportunity to keep going forward and become more a regional hub. It's a lovely shop, a big shop, and it's well worth driving to. We wanted to give an environment different from a town centre store. You can spend as long or as little time as you like, have lunch or tea. There are lots of different elements that make up the home furnishing store. There are lots of places you can go and have a bun in a cellophane package. Here, everything's fresh. In Berry, we sell about a thousand scones a week. Some people come in just for the restaurant. Uncertainty over the pandemic has made it hard to plan specific events to celebrate the 75-year milestone. But they have an ongoing anniversary sale. And Jerry Glasswell's Great Tea and Sugar Christmas Giveaway for Pensioners, a tradition he began in 1954 that ran for 30 years, is being celebrated with a free pot of tea for two in the restaurant. The next few months are going to be all about our history, said Paul. Right. <clears throat> now I have some news, um, Bury St Edmunds. Summer celebration, Churches Together in Bury St Edmunds and District has organised a summer celebration of unity in the Abbey Gardens on the afternoon of Sunday, August the 8th. Chair Heather Corbell said the aim of the event is to celebrate the town and that we all have much more in common than divides us. There will be a stage where bands from different groups will perform music, including worship songs in various styles. There will also be a children's puppet show. Everyone is invited to bring a picnic, rug, a gazebo, and to enjoy the music from 1.30pm to about 3pm, when there will be a united Songs of Praise service, which will finish by about 4pm. Nine-year-old Maisie Fox cycled 55 miles, raising money for the Rainbow Ward at the West Suffolk Hospital. Inspired by her mother, who ran 50 miles for charity, Maisie smashed her £50 target, raising £586.25 for My Wish Charity. She was treated at West Suffolk Hospital when she was two years old. Maisie completed the challenge over a month, riding a few miles each day, around her village in Rickinghall. Church helps struggling community. C3 Church in Bury St Edmunds has launched a market for those whose financial circumstances have changed in the last three to six months due to the pandemic. 
The market takes place every Friday between 10am and 2pm and was set up in aid of helping those struggling to provide for themselves or their families. People can collect up to four bags of goods for a £5 donation, which includes fresh fruit and veg, bakery, eggs and store cupboard goods, and some toiletries such as sanitary products and baby milk. There are also free cups of tea and coffee available for those visiting. They currently hold enough stock to serve 15 households, but say they can accommodate more as needed. There is currently a call for volunteers. Those wishing to visit the market need to sign up on the church website um, once and then send weekly RSVPs to allow for enough stock to be purchased for visitors. Celebrity footballers and family fun added up to a fundraising boost for a great Livermere youngster on Sunday. Mildenhall Football Club hosted the event in aid of the Tegan Smile Fund for 10-year-old Tegan Bayliss. The day raised more than £2,000, including an overwhelming £1,000 donation, which will help Tegan to access vital physiotherapy sessions on support. Tegan was left with cerebral palsy after being kissed on the lips as a baby by someone with the cold sore virus. The schoolgirl has struggled during the pandemic as her physiotherapy sessions were cancelled during lockdown and she's now waiting for a hip operation. Her father Tony said, It was a great day. The weather held out and quite a few people turned out for it. Tegan came along and she was so excited. She felt like a celebrity and she was smiling all day. The event also featured live bands and a singer performing the national anthem and food. New principal is appointed to start in September. A Risby Independent School has appointed its new principal. Natalie Taylor will be taking the helm at Brooks UK School in Flemton Road in September to coincide with the new academic term. She hopes to build on the positive nurturing approach that Graham Ellis, the former principal, has developed with the senior leadership team. Natalie said, I'm really excited to lead the school into the next phase of its development, working with our highly experienced teachers, staff and of course our wonderful children. The Bridge for Heroes would like to thank everyone who donated to the charity on July the 3rd in Bury St Edmunds. The total raise was £638.36. The money will go towards the provision of holistic support to serving members and veterans of all our armed forces and their families, delivered by the Bridge for Heroes from our centre in Kings Lynn. Soapbox Derby, day fun. For some guaranteed summer fun, get this date in your diary. Newmarket Soapbox Derby returns on Sunday, August the 29th. Organised by Newmarket Town Council in association with the Jockey Club and iLeaf Media, it is being seen as the town's big summer celebration, as the annual carnival, usually held in July, had to be postponed for the second successive year, as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. It promises to be a fun day for families, and in addition to the soapbox racing, there will be other entertainment, including showground rides. The soapbox racing... Um, will be on Moulton Road and is set to start at 2pm with racing commentator, racing commentator Derek Thompson comparing. 
The inaugural event, held in 2019, attracted more than 5,000 spectators, as the competitors, who included local businesses, Fast Tech Racing, the Jockey Club, Tattersalls and Manchets, hurtled down the 400-metre course, negotiating obstacles on the way. Newmarket Mayor Councillor Michael Jeffrey said, after the torrid experience of COVID, I hope that people will support this event as competitors, spectators, volunteers and sponsors. Entry is free with parking on the severals charged at £1 per car. For advanced tickets, go to newmarketsoapboxderby.org.uk. Any profits from the day will be donated to local charities. First Mendelsham Scouts, George Skilling 11 and Robert Sharp, eight, have raised nearly £1,000 for a new scout hut as the previous building was ruled unsafe and subsequently removed. The price of their new space costs around £250,000. George cycled 12 miles, raising £300, and Robert completed a 10.2-mile hike, bringing in £600.50 for the group. Improvements at eco-friendly flats remain a top priority. A housing association has given assurances that delayed improvements at an eco-friendly block of flats remain a top priority. Havebury Housing Partnership revealed last February that works were needed at the Goodfellows Development in Bury St Edmunds, with tenants in the 12 flats to be rehomed. In October it confirmed the last remaining tenant would be moving out, but the required work identified following a survey was delayed due to the COVID pandemic. Asked about the progress of the improvements, Jenny Spohr, Director of Operations at Havebury, said they have been working with consultants on options for Goodfellows. We will be able to confirm timescales and details for works required, including when we hope to re-let within the next six to eight weeks, she said. The COVID-19 pandemic has unfortunately caused this project to progress later than anticipated, but it continues to remain one of our top priorities. Goodfellows in Kings Road Bleak Parkway won an RIBA East Sustainability Award and Suffolk Association of Architects Design Award in 2009, but has attracted criticism over the years for its appearance. We have a new item for um, News Talk and it's um, social media based and it is called Chatterbox. So it's Welcome to Chatterbox, a new weekly sideways look at what's got you talking to the keyboard on social media this week. This week saw the start of the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games with some of the best results for the UK in a long time but which other stories has readers talking. DIY SOS presenter Nick Knowles was left bereft after returning to his former Bury St Edmunds School, St Louis Catholic Middle School, only to find it had been demolished. Danielle Watts was shocked by the news, she said. I had no idea it had been demolished. I was a pupil in the late 80s and have lots of fond memories. Fran Bird replied, I love St Louis, such happy memories at this school. Steve Palmer said, I had the honour to work at St Louis from 2010 to 2016. Brilliant place to work and such a shame how the end was brought about. 
Caroline Valance says, it is incredibly sad. Such a waste. I love doing assemblies and running clubs in the school. And Tony Porter replied, great school, great teachers, great pupils. Then another story that stirred up a lot of commotion among readers was the criticism by taxi drivers in Bury St Edmunds and surrounding areas over proposals by West Suffolk Council for all taxis to be wheelchair accessible, which could put drivers' livelihoods at risk. Alan Watkins was furious with the council. He said the council is a disgrace. Has the council thought about the individuals who depend on taxis to get around? Donald Simmons replied, Surely West Suffolk Council need to rethink their plans and involve cab drivers. What they're proposing will put many drivers out of work. It's just not right. Sally Chicken responded, We use wheelchair taxis as my mother-in-law has to stay in her wheelchair. The driver needs to have skills in securing it safe, it's safely, not just jump in and drive. Has anyone shown these councillors what a wheelchair taxi actually looks like inside? It's not a very nice layout for non-wheelchair users. Also, the fuel consumption must be higher. Gary Watt noted, What's most annoying about this is the council assuming the needs of the disabled community. I am disabled and my dad is blind. Plus, I have friends in wheelchairs. None of us knew a thing about this. They assume the same needs for all disabilities. And Chris Gilton said, my mother, who finds it difficult to walk these days, needs a low car to get around in as she cannot climb into a taller vehicle. When she has to phone for a taxi, she always needs a lower car and not one that takes a wheelchair. Making them all wheelchair friendly does not help anyone. Right. Um, we're coming to the end of this edition of St Edmunds News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number you have been given or put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Very Free Press, the East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. Until then, from Harvey, Chris and Katrina, it's goodbye. It's goodbye. listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio. Thank you.